Welcome to this week's episode of the Good Luck Club podcast. Our mission here is to help a million people start a business of their own. I believe no one's born anything. You're not born a doctor, you're not born a lawyer. If you become a doctor, you need training. There's many different types of doctors, there's many different types of lawyers. So the question isn't, are you an entrepreneur? What type of entrepreneur are you? On our podcast today, we'll be talking to entrepreneur Emma Kenny. She's a media psychologist, a broadcaster, a writer, an entrepreneur, an app maker. She'll tell us how she's doing, what she's doing, and why she's doing it. So join us. Just before I bring M1, I just want to tell you guys, as you know, we have a mission to save libraries in the UK. They have been neglected for years. COVID's only made it worse. We believe libraries need to be saved. They're not just a place where books live, it's where knowledge lives. And so we believe that libraries must be saved to save our communities. They're a place right now where if you can't get Wi-Fi, you can go there and get it for free and no one asks you for a coffee money. It's a place you can go and get knowledge. You're trusted with a book, no matter who you are. And we believe at this podcast show that that's very core to our belief, that there are good people out there that just need a little bit of help. We trust you with free knowledge to do it. So let me bring Emma on. Emma, welcome to the show. Oh, thanks for having me. So, I like what you were just saying about libraries. I completely agree. Yes, it's uh, they've been uh, underloved for too long and mm. they're the core part of the community and we need to love them. But thank you for saying that. Emma, please tell my audience that don't know you um, the, the story. What, what, what are you all about? I suppose that my original training was undergrad in psychology, then three different paradigms of therapy, masters in therapy, didn't do a PhD, I'm known as a media psychologist, but I guess that my comfort zone is registered psychological therapist, but I'm employed as a psychologist quite a lot behind scenes to support people. But I also, I'm a writer, so I do columns in magazines like Closer Magazine. I present Scala Radio on a Sunday. And on top of that, I suppose my biggest passion is still therapy. And so I've been developing an app that gives free mental, physical, nutritional and health advice, wellness and videos that people can follow. So I've got a bit of a passion for the poor and marginalised. I think that the way that the world works is unfairly imbalanced towards people who are struggling and I don't like the fact that some people can afford good health and wellness and some people can't it just isn't okay so I've got this massive advocacy towards individuals like that I've got a YouTube channel I do a lot of crime presenting but a big part of my life at the moment is trying to get my app to a place where I feel really happy with it. It's out there now, but it's one of those journeys that has been inspiring on one level because I'm glad I did it because I've learned a lot. But I think as well, it brings into sharp focus the amount of passion that you have to have to be an entrepreneur of any level. And I always kind of struggle with the word entrepreneur because of the fact that it's hard when you've not made millions of pounds to call yourself that. And it's something you have to shift the mindset of. It's like an entrepreneur is somebody who's creative and free thinking and allows themselves to take options and make choices that may go against the grain. And sometimes you lose and you can lose badly. You know, I've lost badly during my journey, but that's what gives you the resilience to reform those ideas. And I remember working with somebody a long time ago when I was on this very beginning of my journey you know, one of those classic investors who's like, come back to me when you want 20 million. And you're like, I just want 500,000. Can you just give me <laughs> that? But he just said, 
really recognize when you talk to investors to talk about your failures because we like it. We like somebody who's failed and then dusted themselves off. So I think part of my journey in the past definite seven years has been I've lost a lot. And I think that that's taught me that firstly, losing isn't bad. Secondly, it redefines who you are as far as your resilience. And most importantly, it tells you, oh, well, if you lose again, you know what to do. That's really powerful. So I think that for me, the last few years have been a really powerful journey of good and bad, but certainly underpinning it, that belief that I would much rather be losing on my own terms than to be lost by somebody else's measure, if that makes sense. Makes total sense. And and, then, and straight off the bat, there's some insights there for my listeners. I don't want them to miss at all. You know, I, I think the whole um, entrepreneurship word is getting a little bit confusing for people. Yeah. And, and, and really what entrepreneurship represents is freedom, um, frankly, freedom to fail, uh, freedom yeah. to try new things, have experiences and, and see the world in a in different view, try things, right? So that's what entrepreneurship is really about, not about you know, making millions as such that can be a byproduct of the experience. Um, but yeah. that's not the reason to have the experience. I think you're highlighting that. I also I think want what to- you said, just to say it well at the beginning, I think one of the most powerful and most important parts, I went to a private school because my parents didn't have any money and I got this place, which was very, very heavily subsidized. It's kind of the poor place. And I went and really failed quite badly because I came from an environment where I didn't feel I fitted nothing bad about the school. And the girls were lovely. It wasn't one of those horrible experiences, but from like 13, I just did not go. It was just not for me. They could not shoehorn me in there, you know, and if I did go, I went to the sick room and I slept. And when they tried to get me in, when I was meant to be doing my A-levels, you know, I would be in the library office, just kind of making fake IDs because there were always ways that I could make money. And I really recognized that there was this broken system and there's a really broken system in the UK. And it's great that education is free, but it measures invariably the completely wrong things. And you get a child at five years of age being told whether they're a success or a failure based on an illogical system. I mean, I don't know anybody who should be graded on their intelligence because they're good at French, you know, because they did well in their GCSE A-level or degree or somebody who failed horrendously at biology, but has a car engine and can sort that out in, you know, five minutes. Intelligence isn't about academia. Intelligence is actually about your social ability, your creative ability, your passion, all of those things. And I think we teach a really negative lesson to a lot of young people. And that negative lesson is if you don't fit this shape, then you are broken. And it's like, wait, no, the shape is broken. I am perfectly fine. And you know, you need to be really aware that a lot of us have got this systemic baggage that we've been handed all the way through our lives, being told what we can, what we can't, what we should, what we shouldn't. What's your plan B? Don't have one. A plan B is a terrible, terrible idea. I don't have a plan B. I've never had a plan B and I'm not going to have a plan B because I'm going to work my plan A and my plan A might change at times, but it's going to be my plan A. And the idea of ever accepting that system internally, which I think so many people do, that is so destructive. And I think we have to almost teach our younger, obvious society, because it's been so problematic recently, just don't buy into the bull. It is bull what you're told. And and the the problem is that um, if you, you know, I've, I've, I, I completely agree with everything you just said, 
by the way. And I think it's, my listeners will be people that resonate with your point and your story as well, because I think this system um, spits out people. I, yes. I would argue that in England, for example, we have knife crime and I blame education partly because mm. they, they, they've given those kids no choice to go and live a different life because they, they've spit them out the right. system because the system says they didn't get high enough grades in school and right. the school doesn't want to have a low grade on their books. Uh, somehow it tarnishes oh, their... Oh yeah, kids perceived. are kicked out of school in primary school. I used to run PRUs, pupil referral units, and I used to spend the first year of the kids' two-year time with me. They didn't do any work. But my job was to help them see that adults didn't all treat them like crap. And that I would like them even when they didn't like themselves. And those kids had been particularly boys. It's usually males that this happens to just because they were difficult at primary school. You know, a lot of them had really difficult lives. I mean, they were traumatized lives. They would kick off and they would just get put outside. So they didn't learn to read or write. And then you've got humiliation and shame programmed in you all the way through. And then by the time they get, as you said, to 13 and they're expelled or excluded or sent to a project like mine, how can you help them feel worthy when the system has made them feel that they aren't just unworthy, they're deserving of their unworthiness? It's a really powerfully, powerfully upsetting system and something that I constantly scream about and something that's really present for me right now because I'm disgusted with the way we're treating young people in our society. I'm disgusted. I hope that people will be held to account for this because we are robbing hope from our children's lives and we are blowing a hole in education per se. And that is something that is inescapable for people who already come from poor and marginalized backgrounds. That is just, in my opinion, criminal. It's a fascinating um, point. And I think it's interesting we talk so much about diversity these days. It springs to mind that, you know, there's no one, there's no one young in government. You know, there's no, there's no uh, 11 year old explaining, you know, what it's like to be a kid in schools today, you know, teaching you things that are not going to be any use to you uh, in the real world and not equipping you for the new world that's coming. And, um, you know, it's uh, it's definitely a big problem. Uh, just going back, I mean, 13 years old, there you are, you know, you, you, you go, you get into this amazing private school, which I'm sure your parents thought was amazing, but then you don't go. What were your parents like? How did, how did you get this kind of awareness? You've got incredible awareness, I'm sensing it. How did you, how did you get this? When I was a really young child, I couldn't understand why other people couldn't see the world like me. It's taken me many years to understand that everybody has a different gift. It's as simple as that. I always give the example that mother nature for me, she knows what she's doing. And like out of the seven and a half billion people in the world, every single human being has a fingerprint that's completely unique to them. And that's because you're marked by her. The mark is you are unique. You're a masterpiece. There is something special about you for this world. And even as a child, I was like really aware that when people said problems, I just kind of really connected with solutions. And I've always been that way. And my communication skills were always really good, but that was problematic because, you know, a 13 year old who can have a conversation that's pretty grown just seems a bit precocious or a bit arrogant because you don't have the wisdom, so to speak, to back it up. So it's kind of a relief for me. I remember hitting 30 and thinking, God, thank God I'm 30 because now people will start potentially listening to me and not thinking that I don't have a right to these kind of positions and perspectives. So I think you're always just so aware of who you are that you don't necessarily recognize the fact that other people don't have the same skill set. And I think we underplay ourselves a great deal in that respect. But 
I suppose when I was 13 and I was going to school, what really affected me was I just wasn't academic. It didn't matter that I was in a class of really bright girls, you know, that just measured it more because of the fact that I felt, well, I'm really out of my depth, but I was bored. I just found education incredibly boring. It was really stilted. I didn't like the experience of having to look at a board and then just go and do my work. I didn't really feel that there was a capture for me. I didn't enjoy it. And I've always been somebody who likes to enjoy what I do. And there was more fun to be had doing other things. They sent me to a clinical psychologist. That's kind of where my journey of becoming therapy orientated began because I thought, well, you're really bad at what you're doing. And if you are getting paid to do this job, then I'm definitely going to be able to do this job because anybody could do this job. And I know that sounds really awful. I'm not trying to be disrespectful to clinical psychologists and all the other people in that world, but you know, you get some really bad ones as well as some really good ones. And I just happened on that reaction that this guy couldn't talk to me how I could talk to him. So I just kind of fooled around and hung out with people who were older than me, learned to play pool really well, and also figured that there was a different way of choosing to live. And I did pass my exams and I did get my A-levels. And It was actually when I went to university, I managed to get on a course at university and I worked really hard because it wasn't a defined psychology degree. I changed to defined in the second year. It was like a combined at the time. And I absolutely fell in love firstly with psychology because it was just so relatable. It was just so interesting and it wasn't fixed. So it didn't matter that one person had an opinion. There were other opinions allowed. And I didn't have to agree with that particular developmental theory. I could look for a different one. And I like that. I like differences of opinion. I get scared when there's one narrative. That is not human. It's not real. So I loved that. But also what I loved was I had this complete slate wiped clean. I wasn't the kid who was struggling. I wasn't the kid who was failing. I wasn't the kid who was sleeping in the sick room or hanging out and making fake IDs in the library, which I did very effectively. And they were very reasonable. And a lot of people in the local area joined the humanist party without knowing it because of those, because I managed to get hold of these things. Big career for some people in that space. It was great. It was a brilliant, brilliant, brilliant little, little, I really started my entrepreneurial journey there, but it was not being known that way. And people thought I was bright. And I remember thinking, this is so weird. And that taught me a really important lesson, which was I cannot build my opinion about myself on other people's opinions of me. Because the vast difference between school, where I felt stupid, and not all the teachers made me feel that way. I had an amazing English teacher, an amazing RE teacher who saw me as the human being I had potential to be. But the others really did think I was stupid. And I probably actively deserved that, to be honest. But going to university, I realized, oh, it feels really good when people are really kind to you and tell you that you're really clever. And that made me go, I really have to make sure that that doesn't become the way that I judge myself, because all that will mean is when I go somewhere else, take, for example, this weekend where a load of lies were printed about me in the press and it made the mail on Sunday and it was taken by every other paper. It didn't matter that it was untrue. That's what happens if you build your opinions on others' opinions of you. So I don't change. I'm not going to shift who I am because you write a load of lies about me. You knock yourself out. I'm still going to have everything I've got. And actually, it's just going to teach me that if you think you can silence me, if you think that you can take me down, if you think you can cancel me, I'm going to just be louder. I'm going to have more volume because I've learned really the hard way throughout my life that being a misfit 
is actually in the end what makes you a really solid, good human being to be around. It's my misfit area. I don't fit any paradigm. I mean, I definitely don't fit in the academic world. I absolutely don't fit in the psychology world. I definitely don't fit in the TV world. I do all of these things, but I don't fit there. I know that. And if you meet me, I'm this all the time. There's no in between. It doesn't change. It doesn't shift. This is it. Whether you're talking to me in the street, whether I'm on TV, this is me. And the thing that people who want to be entrepreneurs need to really accept is don't ever let somebody else's opinion become your fact. Other people's opinions are not facts. They're just opinions. And right now in a toxic experience that we're living in society out there where people's opinions are being weaponized against them, just stand true in your beliefs. You've got to, because you can't be successful unless you're willing to stand in that truth. I just uh, I couldn't agree more powerful words. And I think that for a lot of my listeners out there that are being told, for example, you know, fall in line, do what you're told, um, go to university, do this, do that. You know, you've got to know yourself. That's that's what I take away from what you're saying there. I think. people, yeah. And the other thing I really love about what you're saying is, is this authenticity piece. You yeah. Know, like if you can tap into that, whatever it is, you know, exactly. then, then no one can ever shift you from that. No one can ever catch you out. Because it is you. Yes. And I think so many people do end up shifting to what people want them to be. That when eventually um, they are that uh, acting wise, they're they're very unhappy. Yes. I think we've never been as unhappy. I mean, don't get me wrong. Right now with this toxic environment at the moment where we're not allowed to go out of our houses, we're not allowed to see people that we love. Young people aren't allowed to go and have fun. All the things that makes us human and healthy is denied us. Obviously, people are losing people to COVID. This is terrible. Of course it is. But actually, I think the cost is going to be burdened and shouldered by the young. And I think that we should absolutely be doing more to protect their futures. And I think that that at the moment is leading to a level of helplessness. My own 18-year-old son, he does not want to go to university. He sees there is no benefit. He's like, why would I pay £9,000 to sit in my room and learn online or to get locked up potentially in a halls of residence? And you know what? Big props to him. Sensible choice. Absolutely agree. He wants to go into his own business. I've said to him, live here, do what you want. I'll support you. Because very often people feel that they are unemployable or unemployed. And actually you're not. That's just a choice that you make to own. You can set up a company tomorrow. It's like so cheap to go online, buy yourself a company. You're a company director and you can start doing something with your life. You don't have to wait for permission for other people to give you those options. There'll be people listening to this now who are great poets, artists, who want to sell things like drop shipping, who might need to just think about widening their horizons with their self-esteem level being worked on because what's limiting them is this idea of I can't, I won't, it won't happen to me. It does. Listen, I know, like you know, loads of people who are successful in business and they are not the sharpest tools in the box. They're not. They just had drive, real drive, you know? And they were the kids who at 16 were working on the market stalls and they're looking around and they're thinking, you know what? That guy running that shop, you know, on the market, he's got a really amazing car. And they're suddenly making these figures and actually, wait a minute, that's because this guy, he looks like he's a market trader. And, you know, let's be honest, people will look at market traders and they'll often think to themselves, oh, that, what, what a horrible job. Rubbish. These guys are raking it in. I know chip shop owners that are millionaires 
millionaires. But when you go and get your bag of chips, you're not looking at that person and thinking this guy has got a Ferrari because you've got these stereotypes associated with it. But you go and see the cosmetic surgeon and you think to yourself, yeah, he's somebody who deserves his lot and so on and so forth. Rubbish. It's absolute rubbish. We're human beings walking around. We're animals dressed up and we've forgotten a lot of our past. You know, we are so capable, so potential based. And we live in a society that does a hell of a lot to do that down. We really are. And like you said about the gangs and the knives, you know, I worked in gang dissemination, trying to keep your men out of particular gangs in Manchester. But I also completely understood why they went there. Because you know what? You've got respect, you got money, you got looked after and you belonged. And I'm afraid our society is crap at that. It's crap at doing all of those things that I've just said. So until we can do that for our kids and our young people and our young generation, we don't have a right to be judgmental because they're making choices like that. Son is lucky to have a mother like you. I um oh, I was actually you. kicked out of home by my mother at 15 years old because I didn't want to follow the system she wanted wow. me to follow. But now I am so grateful that she kicked me out of home uh, because I, I found myself by do, doing it on my own. And, and not that I'm suggesting anywhere listeners should should uh, leave home <laughs> at 15. But but I do think you have to you have to stand up for what's right. And you said it earlier, and it's really powerful stuff. I don't want the audience, my audience, to miss it. You know the unique fingerprint that we all have, yeah. and this design that's out there. And what I hate about the system at the moment too, and hate is a very strong word. I don't use it very often. It's, I really do hate the system that's presently built because it's trying to give everybody the same fingerprint right and it's it's saying that success equals money for example or success is being a lawyer which is what my mother wanted me to be and and so you know it it, that is not your fingerprint that is their idea of a fingerprint yeah exactly and of course we're so professional doing these podcasts from home that my dogs are now barking I love that I've got someone. dogs as well so if mine go off at the same time they'll be talking to each other it'll be fabulous yeah. my, my dogs are actually from Hong Kong and so um, they're not used to anyone walking past the window because we lived on the 40th floor so You're when they joking. see no so they're not used to when someone walks past the window because now I live in London and it's ground floor they're like that's weird why is a human being flying you know so, so I it's love fair that enough. you were in Hong Kong how long were you in Hong Kong for 20 years Yeah, that was something else you were saying earlier about how, um, you know, you had the uh, experience of um, of of building a business and learning about building a business. I often say to people that I actually learned about life when I went to Hong Kong and had an experience of seeing the real world, you know, like you have to um, open up your mind to what's out there. And I think that's another thing. If you just live in England and I'm not saying anything against this, but if you can go and experience other cultures. So, for example, before I went to Hong Kong, everyone was telling me how kind of Chinese were, you know, these communists and evil. And and I get there and, you know, communism is a political system. It's not a representation of the people. No. People eat free meals a day. Actually, they're incredibly kind. Yes. They love their children. They love their family. And they they have ambitions just like everybody else. But again, the media, to your point as well, you know, the media, before I went there, I was actually scared to go to China. You know, I actually had this fear like, oh, I'm going to get there and it's the triads and, you know, the Hollywood movie prototype versus and, and actually the kind of things that people say. And then you get out into the real world, you you break free of the system that's told you these things are bad and these things are good. And you oh, can judge so them for yourself propaganda. based yeah. on your own fingerprint. Absolutely. And, and I mean, so- I lived away for nearly three years. So I traveled extensively when I was a young person on a shoestring I didn't come from money at all so very much wanted to just see what it was like to live in different places and definitely that 
on a confidence level, helped me to really think about the fact that your limits are what you place on yourself. And actually the freedom that you feel when you're not really owning anything is really liberating. You know, as you get older and you buy your house and you've got your car and you create your debt, it's actually really not a liberating experience. Now, don't get me wrong. It's what a lot of people want. And I don't think there's anything wrong with having that. But certainly now, even now, when I'm going through what I think is a bit of an existential crisis regarding how I feel about the world and how I feel about politicians and how I feel about the way things have been weaponized in our society currently, even now I'm thinking, I don't know whether I want this stuff anymore, if that makes sense. You know, Mm. what I've learned through this pandemic is everything that makes us unhappy is what we're living right now. Everything. So we're not allowed to see people we love. We don't have our tribe around us. We're not allowed to basically exist in a way that's human. We're having all of those little freedoms totally eradicated. And if you dare to express that you feel frustrated by that, instantly you're getting called a murderer. Let's put it into context. That's what happens, right? It's awful. And it's, it's awful the way that's spun like that as well. I mean horrible. And it, but history's history's full of mistakes like this by people. Right. You know, look at look at the Romans and Christianity. You know, Christianity was was vilified. You know, the Romans yeah. saw it as evil and everyone that even mentioned they were Christian were, were literally crucified. You know, yeah, so exactly. And, and I think history will prove again what you're saying to be right because I think the biggest asset as humans we have is our mind. Yes. And when our mind is caged, be it through education or told to stay in our homes, there is yeah. a big, big long-term problem coming our way. Absolutely. Absolutely. I don't think the Prime Minister is aware of um, how powerful the mind is. No. You know, perhaps that's the problem, you know, and I think that they're, they're busy. And, I, and, I, and then to your point, I think it's about... It's about populism. It's about what, what, what the public say. I mean, politicians, that's the problem. They have to kind of do what people say, even if they don't believe it. They lie to get votes, but what, for Yeah, I, I get it. I get it. But I mean, if ever there was a time where they should be going, oh, let's have a look at our history, shall we? <laughs> we thought that we were definitely not going to Brexit because the yeah. YouGov polls told us we wouldn't Brexit. Oh, we Brexited. Yeah. We thought that we might lose the election because the YouGov polls were saying that Corbyn was going to win. Oh, but we won by a massive majority. So you know what? Your YouGov polls are a really bad indicator when you look at what they've polled before. And the truth is that this is a big problem. There is a very clear issue with the fact that we have marginalised individuals, 14 million people in poverty. Do you think they're taking YouGov polls? And do you think that they're having a good time? No, they're poorer now than ever. We know that 2 million people don't have an internet connection in the UK. Therefore, they can't even get involved in the conversation. But the idea that anybody is sitting in their home who's not had any financial support for the last 12 months, that's 3 million families without one penny of support. They're not doing YouGov polls because they're worried about how they're going to feed their kids and so on and so forth. So the thing about being popular is that very often when you think about popularity, it's very fleeting. It's based on particular performance in a particular moment. And the minute that it shifts, let's look at the Daily Mail, let's look at the BBC, the moment that they can call things into question because that will get them more views, it will be called into question. That's why you can't base your life on other people's opinions. Even if you're a politician, what politicians should care about is what is good for humanity. And I think it's unenviable. I'm never going to say that it isn't. I think it's a lose-lose situation right now because at the end of the day, 
they're in a situation where they don't want to be held accountable for somebody dying, even though the fact is that it's going to probably kill more people in the long run. Right now, that's where the emphasis is, right? Even though we're going to see massive increases in mental health issues and suicidal ideation and all the things that go with it at this moment in time, because that's hidden, it's very easy to believe that you're doing the right thing. Whereas what I tend to do is I'm very much about seeing things very clearly. It's from a child. It's not hard. Like you, you've had companies, you've built your own empire, so to speak. Why? That's because you could see things. You could see things. It's like, not psychicity, of course it isn't. You know, I'll be sat here with a crystal ball otherwise, but it's about being able to almost anticipate. And I know what's coming and you know what's coming. And what I'm desperately trying to do now is to get young people to see that they have to claim their future. You know, they have to claim that future back because they are entitled to it. They deserve it. And for those poor and marginalized people, you know, if somebody's listening now, maybe you're listening in a place that is in a home that isn't perfect. Maybe you've got a horrible parent. Maybe you're getting restricted from doing things that you'd want to do because of finances and all of those things. Don't believe that's your picture. You know, that's somebody else's picture. Somebody else created that for you. You don't have to live it. Like I've spent my whole life thinking if I had gone down the route of what I was told I was going to achieve, well, I would have been a tour guide at Granada Studios back in the day when they did it. That was the suggestion. That was a serious suggestion for me. Oh, you're good with people, Emma. Go and be a tour guide. That'll be nice. I, I, like, I, that was I had the, the same, idea for the, me. The school system yeah. uh, throws out these silly reports. It told me I would be a good hairdresser. Nothing against hairdressers, but simply yeah, because I, mean, I, yeah, I like to talk terrible. to people, I would therefore be a good hairdresser. No, no, no aspirational, know. you know, almost like we don't want to lift your aspirations. You know, you can work in the factory in the town that you were born in, or you could be a hairdresser. Which one would you like? Yeah. Almost as if there's you know, binary choices in life. But it is, it is a big problem. I think for a lot of people, um, one thing I think, <laughs> Um, we, that they need is a way of of um, getting out of this uh, situation. So you know, I think what you're doing, for example, with with Appies, is is one way of you trying to not just say what you think and what the problem is, but bring a solution to the market that will help people. I think that's actually very important too, right? Because I think there are a lot of haters out there. There are a lot of people that want to argue um, uh, and not debate, which is a shame. But there is, that is the world we're living in. I think there is a need for people to find a way to figure out what they can do to get themselves out of this mess. So you know, you you yeah. created this app. I, I was just interviewing, by the way. Um, the previous podcast is with the founder of Babylon, Ali. Um, yeah. And he um, t- $2.4 billion business now. And uh, he's built an incredible business. Um, I was just thinking you two should collaborate, by the way. Um, but yeah. but, but, uh, but I, I definitely think, you know, what you're doing with, with what you've built is, 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 is your way of trying to help people through this difficult time psychologically. Because it's very easy to say, don't fall into the system. But the system is so powerful. People yeah. need help, right? So, um, so, so that's one of your ways of helping, isn't it? I think that Appy came because I was a single mum for a period of time, five years on my own. I was on my arse financially. I was working, running a mental health service three days a week. My ex-husband wasn't somebody with money. Therefore, I had to figure a way out of paying the mortgage and dealing with my finances in a creative way. I didn't want to feed my kids processed food with vegetarian. I wanted to make sure that I could help them to become strapping young men. They are, they were both elite gymnasts in the end. So my deal was that I needed to figure out how to stay fit and healthy on a budget whilst dealing with a lot of stress and anxiety. I used to run six miles a day. That was what I did. And I couldn't, I just couldn't go out because I just genuinely couldn't get out of the house at night. I had two young babies, literally two-year-old and a four-year-old. And also 
the affair that my husband had had was with a friend. So my social experience suddenly kind of crumbled. And I was sitting in a room after doing the Davina DVD. And like after three weeks, she's really nice, Davina. I've met her quite a lot of times and she's really nice, but I wanted to kill her at that point. Because mm. when you've listened to that same thing for three weeks and it cost me 13 quid, I remember that's how broke I was because I can remember that 13 pounds being a real, real expenditure. And I sat in my lounge one day and I thought, do you know what? I would one day, if I could create something that would mean that maybe I could get free health and fitness and wellness and meditation and all that stuff. And also where I could chat to other people and meet like-minded individuals and kind of create something. So when I started doing okay, I decided that that was what I was going to do. And don't get me wrong, like anybody listening now, let me tell you, building an app sounds easy, but is incredibly difficult. And also I've literally spent everything on it myself because I didn't want investment. One, because it's very hard to get it when you come from a working class background. It's still quite Etonian, the investment world. You know, you kind of go into a very white middle class dominated experience and a lot of people get investment because they've got good ideas, but a lot also get investment because they know the right people. So I didn't want to go on that journey initially because the initial thing is, well, if it's just an idea, you need to prove the concept. And then as I went along, I was like, I don't want to get investment now because they're going to say it's got to be a subscription model. That's the way that it works. You know, I can see what the financials are. It's five pounds a month. Therefore, it's a subscription model. It'll work. I know that young people aren't going to do that. Young people are looking to get things for free. They're really savvy. And also, I didn't want to have to charge people what I felt would make an ethical platform to health and wellness and one without censorship as well. I really have a massive problem with censorship. The only thing that should ever be censored is hate. That's it. If you are hateful, you should be censored. That's all. But I want you to be able to talk about the fact that there are difficult issues. I want you to feel at home talking about the way that you feel about certain things without being destroyed. That is so important. So that was why I created Appy. It's got like thousands of fitness videos, thousands of pieces of health and wellness content, loads of meditation programs, confidence programs, but also you can upload your own, you can do your own so you can actually influence yourself. You can become an influencer, I guess. And it's been really hard. I'm not going to lie. It's been really hard and really expensive and it's just been soft launched. So you can get it on the Play Store. Apple, it's called Appy Wellbeing. That's what you have to search on Google and Play, but Google and iOS, I should say. Uh, it's not finished yet. It's another four weeks build and then I'll have what I want in there, if that makes sense. And then I'm just going to lie down and go, oh, I hope a lot of people like this because if they don't, it's going to be a very costly mistake, but I'm sure it'll, I'm sure it'll be fine. It'll be fine. Like you said, it's um, you know, it's all part of the experience, isn't it? it Try, is. You've you've done it. You've 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 tried to create something, and uh, exactly. if it succeeds or fails, it's all it's all good. Exactly, right? and but I'm I, good at failure. I'm really good at failure. Yeah, I think I that's really a skill. Am. That's an underrated skill. It is, and it's just liberating. And like I said at the moment, I don't even know what I, I think entrepreneurs are always going to feel that way. And I think you were right about saying to anybody listening, like an entrepreneur is a state of mind. It isn't somebody else giving you that title. It's a state of mind. It's about being free from believing that there is a one way narrative. There's a blueprint given to every child in the UK. It's just born into the Western system. It goes, you're going to get born. You're going to go to preschool. Then you're going to go to school. Then you might go to college, but you know, you're probably definitely now because that's legal. Then you might go to university. You'll definitely get a job. Then you'll get a house, get married, have kids, save for a pension, get your pension, die. 
That's the Western model. No one's happy with it. No one is happy with it. But people I still do it. People That's the constantly thing. Constantly, because you fed it, you told it. Nobody sits there and is brave enough to say this is broken. We need to shift this. Mm. Now, I was listening to Kai Fuley, the guy who we were talking about before we started recording this. Very, very, very well respected and known for his particular views on the AI new experience of the world. Quite scary when he talks about it. Well, well, he's basically saying in 10 years, Amazon fulfillment centers won't have a human being there. It's basically saying that humans will not be required. But no matter what they say, and no matter what that vision is, again, it's a very Western narrative. It doesn't matter where he's from, it's that centric view. This is happening. This is how it's going to be. No, it's not. Because people are going to be creative artists. People are going to use platforms where they can just be human. You know, we are always going to need people to be purposeful. The idea that you could just say to somebody, well, we'll just pay you to stay at home, for example, you know, and I know that he talks about that robot tax and being able to just be paid. So you get to do more fun things as they pay you to do that. That would be terrible. Human beings need purpose. We need purpose. And I think at the moment, more than ever, when there is a crisis of any proportion, great things come out of it in some bizarre way. So right now, somebody listening at home, there will be something going on in their head and they'll be like, maybe I could do this. Maybe I should try this. And it's like, do, because as long as you're doing it, as long as you're trying it, you'll hit gold at some point. It doesn't mean it won't cost you. It doesn't mean that you won't lose. It doesn't mean that you won't make a fool of yourself. I've made a fool of myself massively in periods of time, but you learn that there is only limits that you place on yourself. And I think we've got to start saying that more and more. I was getting into a discussion with a guy who is a cancer consultant, you know, and he's amazing, amazing at what he does. But one of the things that we were talking about is, you know, when somebody's on chemo, they want to get loads of calories into them. So they're like giving them Coca-Cola and lots of things with fat in it. It's really not great for people. But I said, why don't they do that? And he said, we'd have to shift the whole system. We'd have to change the system. And I'm like, can change we not the system. do that? Yeah, I Let's think we need to change the it. system. It's, like, it, the, 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 I, I hope that maybe a podcast like this and what you're doing right now, which I really admire, speaking up, you know, and in letting people uh, throw stones at you, but it's but realizing yeah. that it's the truth, then yes. you will wake enough people up that this will be a movement and things will change because there's no doubt about it. I think even people have kids in school who still want their kids to go in private schools or go into university know it's broken. They know it's broken, but I think they need an avenue in which to put their energy into a fixed system, right? I think that's the problem. There's no, there's no, it feels like there's no alternative to the broken system. That is where the problem lies, right? Right. It's a bit like politics. I mean, I I hate politics. I was going to get into politics at one point and I frankly, I just can't lie to people the way politicians do. No, I'd be the same. And and then I feel like, you know, it's it's called the illusion of choice in my mind. It's like you've got two parties. Both of them do not really represent what I would like to see in society, reform in education, for example. So we're given this illusion of choice, but I I think you're highlighting so many important things. One of the things I want, I don't want the audience to miss it, you're saying, is this word purpose, because a lot of people it's thrown around i use it a lot you know find your purpose what is your purpose and a lot of people can't even the system has drained that word out of them yeah i totally agree i think purpose and passion are what make you happy so knowing that you have impact on the world and it's not about money as long as you can eat and you've got a roof over your head and ideally you've got love around you whatever you love doing is what will give you a full life like you don't walk around a graveyard and it's like 
was a great accountant. It's all about <sighs> relationships, right? It's about relationships, but the relationships have to start with the self. We have such a bad identity with ourselves right now because we've been told so many myths. Most of us are carrying around ideas and opinions of ourselves that were never actually formed by us. We were given them. And my job, both in therapy, but also in my life in general, is to help illuminate that context because then people will be like, Actually, I knew my purpose when I was a kid. I wanted to be an actor, a singer, an artist, a photographer. You know, the list is endless. You know, you don't get seven-year-olds going, lawyer, it's definitely a lawyer for me. Or, you know, (laughs) at 11, you don't people go, I'm going to be a colon cancer consultant. That's just not how we work, right? We have dreams. We have visions. We have ideas of what would make us thrive. And then we get told that they're either unachievable or they're not for us or we don't get to go through and go ahead with it because we've not had the right kind of help in our lives around us and we kind of put them to bed. And I'm like all about activation. I'm about activating that purpose. Do you know, it's fantastic. And you know, you just, there's something here, again, I don't want the audience to miss and I'm, I'm going to put what you said in a slightly different way. I actually went to a colon doctor because uh, at one point I had stomach problems and I thought I had, yeah. might have had colon cancer. So I went, as, as you should, go and check. And um, my colon cancer doctor was incredible, incredible, like just fun, informative, <laughs> to the point. And you know what I thought when I met him? I thought to myself, this person is doing what they're meant to be doing. Yes. You know, like there are people that actually would love that's a job they want to do and they're meant to do it. This, this guy told me how he became uh, this craft and he was not told to do it. He was, he was free. His parents didn't, didn't care what he did. But he, found, he suddenly found the body really interesting and studied it. Yeah. And then he had a digestive issue himself and studied it. And, it, and that's what led him to be, frankly, I think he's the best colon, colon cancer doctor in London. And he's, he's just amazing. amazing. I feel like saying his name, but I don't want to embarrass him. But the point I'm trying to, say, <laughs> trying to highlight here is that, you know, so, sometimes the system is trying to reorder things um, based on what you should be doing as opposed to you listening to what you're meant to be doing. And let, to your point, if you're an artist and someone says, you can't make a living out of that, fuck them. Yeah, and you can. You know, and you, can you can, you can do brilliantly. You look how the big, the people that are actually really successful, really, really, truly big time successful are the ones that actually have followed their talents. Right. Artists, entrepreneurs, yeah. you know, the top five richest people in the world own a business of their own. They don't work for someone else, right? Yeah. So, so following that instinct of where it leads you it might not initially be obviously your purpose. It could be you just like to paint, Right. right. To some people, that doesn't sound like purpose. Purpose is such a big word, right? But if they follow that and even ignore the parents, your, your, your children are very lucky to have you. But I, Only I, we, because I've been there and I've felt well, exactly, that and but, I know what it's like. But yeah. I see so many parents, and I mean, no disrespect. First of all, no, also, yeah. I also want to say, by the way, I've got a three-year-old, okay? And I, I honestly say, I've got a three-year-old, and I, single mothers deserve an award, there should be every year the queen should give an award to people that are single mothers. I have run companies with hundreds and hundreds of people with millions and millions of pounds of turnover. I can honestly tell you, looking after my three-year-old all day, every day for a week is the hardest and most rewarding, however, in its own way, mentally yeah. draining, absolutely exhilarating job of my life. And anyone that's done it as a single mother deserves an award first of all but, <laughs> I, but think I've got, I looked out with my kids though they're really easy yeah, you say you lucked out and we can talk about luck yeah so so yes. did, did you luck out or did I know, did look out in the fact that like I've never had a row with my kids and they're 18 and 16 that is unbelievable I, I think I had a row with my mother wonderful. every week 
Yeah, like I 10 did. Years. I was terrible. I was horrific. Like apparently they could hear me screaming down the road. That was what I was told. And I was very, very, very vocal. I think communication has always been a thing of me. You know, mm. I've always wanted to communicate my point, but I just believe in um, what I consider compassionate parenting, which is no arguing, no hitting, just always kind of understanding perspectives because just because I want something to happen, that doesn't mean that it should, if that makes sense. So I remember like trying to teach other people that method and people being like, what? But it was when they were young, if they were playing Lego and I wanted to go to a supermarket and they were like, oh, I really want to play Lego. I'd be like, do I really need to go to the supermarket? Because right now that Lego seems really important. Mm. Or the other thing was when kids interrupt, you know, kids interrupt and parents will like kind of push them away and be like, quiet, quiet, quiet. I would never do that because I know that my child in that moment, it's the most important thing. They need to tell me something really important. You know, at four years old, that is really important. And the person I'm talking to can wait. Now that's a very against the grain system. Mm. That's not how we brought up etiquette wise. Because of that, my children know not to interrupt now because they were always heard. So now they've learned the value of being heard. They've also learned the value of listening. So I think that everybody has a different way of parenting. And I did look out to some degree. And yes, of course, I've worked really hard to be that positive voice, but I've not shielded them either. I've never like shielded them from the world. Like they are the kids that will climb trees and fall out and break arms. They are the kids that will backflip. They are the kids that will be very visionary about what they want and they'll try anything. And that to me is what I think I've hopefully given them some robustness against this system. Mm. And like, obviously, like you're saying, it brings out some brilliant things as well. You know, there are lawyers, there are doctors, there are incredible entrepreneurs. But I think that for young people these days, there is a gap, a real widening of a gap becoming more and more present in poverty and more and more present in people achieving because unfortunately we do not have a system that's fair. The idea that you can test a child from a abusive family who's dealing with lots of problems with nutrition, who's managing to go to school and try their best is tested the same way a kid who goes to Eton, who's had all the trappings of life and then that's meant to be a marker of their future. That's wrong. It's so inherently biased. It's basically very few people can break free of that model unless you choose to just not believe in the model. Like, so unless you go, well, actually, you know what? I did really badly in my GCSEs and A-levels, whatever. If that's where you are, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. No one can keep you back. I've worked with coders who never achieved anything at school and then they taught themselves to code. And they're making more money than I'll they're, probably ever. They're make. often the best. The best at it too. And I, right. I mean, it's, the system is again. We could go on about the system forever. But I was looking at this credit rating system, and uh, there oh. was some advert the other day. You know, go to our credit rating site. I don't even want to say the name of it. And uh, <laughs> shake the phone, and you'll get four extra points on your credit rating system. And and that same day when I saw that advert, I'd met someone who had a dream of starting a business, but they were scared that their credit rating would be affected. Because I said to them, no one cares about your credit rating. And I mean this in the sense that when I invest in someone, I invest in their spirit, in their purpose, in their idea. I've never, in the 68 investments I've made in companies, ever said to someone, well, hold on a minute, what's your credit rating? You know, (laughs) 
<laughs> because I'm not sure, you know, if your credit rating is not 700, you know, the credit rating is designed so you create monthly income and outgoings. So therefore you have a job and you're part of the system, right? That's right. And, and so, you know, and I think I would just want to also say, you know, like parenting, what you're talking about, parenting is actually really hard. But if you lean in, like you have clearly, the outcome is incredible. But I think entrepreneurship has a very similar thing. If you lean into the no work life balance, <laughs> If, yes. you, if you lean into the experience of failing yeah. and it can, it can, it can be an incredible, incredible experience. But if you are looking at it as a, a you know, how can I how can, go away from me, child? Um, I, I need my time or, or go away from me business. It's the weekend. Then, oh, yeah. then, then no, you, you can't you know, do that. <laughs> no, you can't do that. The other thing I don't want the audience to miss is something you, you mentioned as well about um, raising no money and having no money for your, you know, putting your own money into your app. I also think that's got a bit lost with all these headlines of you know this business raised 100 million that business raised 50 million people have lost the plot a bit actually the process of 100% owning it yourself and your point about not having no let's call it corruption in the system you know no one telling you what to say how to say it being you know like you said filtered I think people should be allowed to filter themselves if I see something on tv I don't like I turn off the tv right you know like it should not be filtered for you I don't need my life policed I can police myself right and I yeah. think that's the same with what you're building. When you build a business, I think it's a really big nugget of gold you're giving there in your own process that don't wait for someone to give you the money and don't wait for someone else to approve your idea. Just do it. And you don't, you know, even if you've got no money, you can actually hustle and make a business work. Yeah. Can, and there's many ways to start. I mean, Airbnb folks, right? I mean, they sold cereal boxes to yeah. have income in to pay yeah. for their website. You know, like yeah. th- there's a good example, right? It doesn't it's have amazing. to be raise money for your website, right? Yeah. And yeah. So, it's, so- it's, 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 I think for people who want to start their own business, you just have to like know that don't think about the big picture, you know, never think about like, oh, I'm going to wait and I'm going to sell it for a billion pounds. Like that's, it's great to have that vision and I hope it happens. Absolutely. But if you actually overwhelm yourself with those ideas, it means that you don't actually do the little pieces, the little steps. Like for me, it's always been about like, okay, I have to raise this to do this. I have to raise this to do this. I have to work more to do that. And actually those jigsaw pieces, you know, making my brother work for me for next to nothing, even though he's a qualified barrister, he hates being a barrister. He didn't want to be a barrister. He said fighting is not what he wants to do for the rest of his life. He's very bright, but he's also incredibly good. I would say at UX when it comes down to apps, he's learned how to not code, but he's learned how to develop in that respect. So he has worked for next to nothing for me for these years because he believes that it's going to do something good, right? And he believes that there might be a payoff at the end of that, right? But that is what you have to do. You have to create people around you who are willing to help you on your journey, whether that's somebody who will just give you some advice and guidance, whether that's somebody who, like with me, will work for you for next to nothing. You have to be willing to sacrifice a lot because financially you have to invest in yourself and what you do. And also you have to be willing to lose. They are big things that you have to ask yourself. But you also get to just think, if I want to make this decision, I'm going to make this decision. And even now, as I start that journey of knowing I'm going to have to pitch and knowing I am going to have to raise investment, I get that now. But at least I'm doing it with a full product and at least I'm seeing people on it. Much easier as well. It's such a weird thing to see people using my app. It's so weird that they've got it on their phones. It's freaking Mm. me out. It's great. But I know that people traditionally think you've got to go and raise funds and you don't. There are ways of hustling. And I, my mantra has always been this. Honestly, the reason that I'm not afraid of failure is like I'll sell 
biscuits and make money. I like biscuits. I like people. I'd sell them better than the person next to me. That's how you've got to believe in yourself. And like you said, however you create that hustle, it, there's always potential. And like I said, some of the richest people I know, they bummed out in the biggest ways at school. Plus you've invested in yourself and you've got such an array of abilities, you know, TV presenter, TV psychologist, therapist, writer. I mean, let, let's face it. If, <laughs> if you communication. want, if, but if you want to earn a living, I don't think at this stage, you know, you've got a problem, but I think your point earlier, which I also loved was this no plan B point. Yeah, it's no all, plan it's B. all, you know, all in on this idea and, yeah. and, and make it work. And, and if you don't go that way and you wonder why it doesn't work, right. But that, that all in thing is so, so key. Listen, it is the most important thing in life is agency. You happen to the world. The world does not happen to you. Mm. There will be moments in your life where something occurs and you have to make a choice how to react to it. So my dad killed himself just over a year ago. He was the most important person in my world. I loved him with every inch of my being. And unfortunately he got sepsis. It became psychosis and he hung himself. Now that moment happened to me, right? That happened to me. So I, in that situation, go through something highly traumatic, massive loss, but I still have a choice how I react to it. And I don't think we talk about that enough. I choose how to react. That's life. If you are driving the car and it smashes up, you can deal with the wreckage, right? And then when something terrible happens to you, and it will, everybody listening, you're going to get that phone call. It's going to happen. Something terrible will happen to you in your life. You still have power to react to it how you choose. You can still use it as a learning experience, as a growing experience, as an opportunity to develop more as a human being. So whilst you would not, in my circumstance, want that to happen, or I didn't want that to happen, what have I grown from? Oh my God, I am afraid of nothing now. There is nothing that you can make me afraid of. The pandemic drop in the ocean. Honestly, if there were bodies in the street, I'd just step over them. That isn't because I'm not empathic. What I'm saying is you learn that you have to contain yourself and react to the world in a way that works for you growing wise. And I think that every single negative becomes an incredible positive when you process it effectively. And I think that I'm a living example of how you can actually adapt in a really positive grown way when you go through things that are deeply distressing. And I don't think we equip our young people to feel that way. I think we teach people to be afraid, whereas fear is actually just telling you to be brave. And agency is, I happen to the world. The world does not happen to me. So many of us, we live in a reactive state. We are reacting constantly. No, don't react. Like pause, figure out what it is you want, who you are, why you are. And from there, you can start making a difference. Yeah, um, I'm, I'm feeling a little bit emotional uh, based on your story there. And, I, and, I, and frankly, I wish I had um, met you six years ago because I spent about £5,000 uh, with a psychiatrist understanding what you just talked about. Because <laughs> I, I lost my father when I was 15. Oh. He died suddenly of a heart attack at 56. And he died in front of me and it was very traumatic. Oh. And I, um, I, I, I kind of buried it for a long time. But I think part of me at the time, um, I always kind of felt like my father left me. And I think the, the, the perception changed through help, uh, which, which I, what I want the audience to pick up on the advice you've just given. Anyone that's going through any sort of pain is it's about how you frame it. Right. So, so now I have a life I love. And, and this is the thing the psychology, psychologist said to me, that I have a day today, I have a, a life I love. If that hadn't happened, as awful as it was, then maybe I wouldn't have what I've got today. 
absolutely the big thing for me whenever I'm working with people per se is life happens it really does and there'll be awful times and there'll be great times right you learn very little in the great times you learn a hell of a lot in the bad times but when you are the human being that you are every breath of every moment has created you and you change an element of it and you're not who you are and you don't have the life that you have. And that can be both good and bad. You know, it's the same when you say, well, actually I'm living in a situation that I don't like. Well, that's educating you to change it. You're not being put there because you're meant to stay. Emotions are prompts. They're prompts. We don't talk about that enough. You know, when you feel terrified, you're not being taught to stay scared. You're being taught to be brave. It's saying, well, this fear feels horrible. Maybe I need to do something that makes I risk it. If I risk something that gives me confidence when I'm feeling stressed, I'm being taught to go and soothe myself. Anger is not there to make you hit somebody. Anger is there to go, oh, this doesn't feel very good. Probably need to go and chill out somewhere. When you listen, Instead, in the Western model, what we say is emotions that are bad, that feel bad, avoid them, drink, gamble, do something that distracts you in a negative way. That's usually how people will meet these horrible feelings. No, don't. Like, it's there to inform you. Like, listen and then counter, unless it's happiness, in which case, stay. (laughs) But also, just know that journeys and everybody's journey, there will be critical points. And those critical points like you losing your dad in that way, particularly at an age where it's very formative, particularly in front of you, they are those moments that indelibly stain your soul. You can't do anything about it. But from that experience, it's hard to be afraid of pretty much anything. Probably the only Achilles heel that you have in your life is your child. I would say that for a parent, the Achilles heel is a child and my children are mine. The only thing I can't face in life is something bad happening to them, as in monumentally bad. We can sort anything else out, but you know, something bad happened to them in that way. That's my Achilles heel. Everything else, it's just an experience. Uh, it's, it's so true. Um, you're making me think of a million other things that the audience need to know, but um, I'm, I'm conscious of taking up your time and you've given us a lot of it. Oh, I'll come back any time. It's so, so uh, insightful, so much passion and energy and love and authenticity. I thank you for that. No, thank it's an absolute pleasure. And like I said, for anybody listening, just nobody defines your worth apart from yourself. And there'll be a lot of souls out there who try to make you feel that you haven't got worth. And the, they're the problem, not you. Totally. Well said. Thank you so much, Emma, for coming on. I, uh, <laughs> I appreciate it. Anytime. Folks, I hope you enjoyed today's podcast. I certainly did. I uh, would consider it a big uh, favor if you guys went and clicked on Emma's new app that's on the app store and give her a review and um, only give her a five-star <laughs> review if you've got feedback on the app feel free to leave it in the comments or send us an email let us know how we can make it better and how she can make yes. that app better for you we want feedback it's only new so like any business it needs improvement please do uh, go and click on the links below I, I i don't know do you have social media yet on a uh, live yeah go click on the yeah. social media folks it costs nothing to give a like it costs nothing but it can Aww. make a big difference to ensure that that product gets in the hands of someone that needs it right now and we know right now more than ever people need all the free support they can get listen to emma's 
thesis on helping people for free. I'm also the same. You know, there's no catch. We just want to help people right now and make sure the business is sustainable so we can help you for the long term. But there are people like that in the world. Don't be cynical. Go and give a little bit by just clicking like on the business. It could mean that that product gets in the hands of someone that needs it right now. I'd, I'd really appreciate it. So if you enjoyed today's podcast, then do feel free to uh, let us know. In addition, um, if you think someone out there needs to hear this insight, needs to hear these points to help them start a business, grow a business, or not feel alone with their present business, do me a favor. And I think that's smash the share button. You know, that's the way to put it. <laughs> Hit that share button and let people know um, that there's knowledge here for them, free to help them. I hope you enjoyed today's podcast. And I know that you have hundreds of thousands in fact 764,412 podcasts you could be listening to but you take the time to listen to ours and we feel incredibly lucky